Hi there, folks, and welcome. Welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Zivna Kajimam, again. And this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Native Shark, which is an online platform for learning Japanese. And what Native Shark do is they make learning Japanese really, really simple. So you just show up, click a button that says Study Now, and the platform will then show you exactly what you need to learn next based on your progression. Now, this may sound simple, and in practice it is, but the way it's designed means that students who use Native Shark once a day for four to five months can complete the equivalent of over two years of university study. And what they're also unique in is that they teach all of the types of Japanese that you wouldn't normally get in traditional schools or textbooks. And if you've ever studied with one of the more common textbooks that foreigners usually pick up, you've probably noticed that there are a lot of sentences or conversations in there that you'd never really hear in real life, and vice versa. Some of the stuff you actually hear when you're out and about in Japan is never really covered in these traditional textbooks. So this isn't the case with Native Shark. It's very well grounded in everyday spoken Japanese, whether it's casual or formal language. And you can really expect, like one of the students writes in their reviews, you can really expect to be picking up the sort of little nuances that no one would expect a non-native speaker to use. And that's pretty rare for most Japanese courses. So yeah, really, really useful platform. And since you've heard about it here on the podcast, you also get an extra little bonus. If you sign up using the URL nativeshark.com forward slash NTI, we'll link to it in this episode show notes. That's native without an E, so N-A-T-I-V shark, all one word, dot com forward slash NTI. Use that link to sign up and you'll get a double length free trial. So two weeks free instead of the one. And you can sign up for that free trial without having to put any uh, credit card or anything of the sort in there. So give it a go. You won't regret it. All right. So for today's episode, um, this is a recording of a video call that I've had last week with a lovely gentleman by the name of Tristan Whitehead, who's originally from Australia, um, I think. That is, he sounds like it, but I could be wrong. I never asked. Um, apologies if I've got that wrong, Tristan. And um, he's contacted us to discuss a potential business venture that he's got in mind. I'll let him explain the project in his own words, because he does that very well. But essentially what he's got in mind is a high-end, tech-infused sort of conference center or, or corporate retreat in the Japanese countryside, not too far from Tokyo, which would serve as a weekend getaway spot for either businesses, you know, for team building, that sort of thing, or even sort of extended family reunion spot um, that'll come complete with a large meeting space or convention hall a number of satellites, smaller uh, working or sitting spaces around it, and then separate living or sleeping cabins uh, all around the main structure. Really nice idea. should be very popular these days, uh, in particular with the shift to remote work and people wanting to get away from crowded metropolitan centers. So we talk all things related to this sort of project, from sourcing the land and construction uh, or renovation of the space itself, to suit those project requirements. We talk advertising, marketing, potential clientele, um, required licensing and staffing and compliance and much, much more. Really good conversation, fantastic business idea, which we'd love to get involved in uh, if and when it takes off. So yeah, really great chat. And if you're into talking heads and you'd like to also see us face-to-face -face as we speak, the video recording of the conversation is available on our YouTube channel as well. And I'll link to it in this episode's show notes. So feel free to pause the recording if you're listening to this on audio and go watch it over there if you prefer. So enjoy the conversation and I'll see you again on the other side. It's good. Okay, yeah. go for it. Great. So good morning. good morning. How are you doing today? Very, very good. Thank you. 
Great. Um, so Zim, thanks for the time today. Um, I, I got your details from one of your other recordings. I think it popped up in either you, YouTube or LinkedIn. I can't remember which. Yeah. Um, and I found it a very interesting conversation. So I thought I would reach out and uh, talk to you about um, kind of an idea I have. So I'll give you some background on it and then um, you know see uh, if you can give us some insight into this topic. So essentially, um, you know, I, I live in Japan now, recently moved here about a year ago, but I've been uh, in Japan for about six years prior to that, like on a work assignment. And um, I was in the management consulting industry, worked, like I said, about six years in Tokyo, but I've spent my whole life really working across the globe. And, um, you know, my wife and I decided to get married, settle down. She's a physician and can only practice in Japan because she doesn't have a license to practice anywhere else. Oh, and, she's, and she's so, Japanese, is she? Sorry? She's Japanese, your wife? Yes, she okay. is. Yeah, she's Japanese. Understood. And um, so, so we decided to make um, Tokyo our home base. And I retired from my consulting position and I started a tech firm. Um, which deals in supply chain digital technology. And so we've only just started that up and uh, I'm able to run it remotely. So Tokyo works for me. Um, I was actually splitting my time between London uh, and Tokyo. But due to Corona, um, I kind of came over here and decided not to go back. Uh, just because of the virus situation. That was about uh, January of last year. So, so your client just base, just to help me understand, your client base is in uh, overseas or here in Japan? Actually, mostly overseas. Okay. Um, so uh, we, we will be addressing the Japanese market, but um, you know, I've been in Japan long enough to know that it's, it's a whole different ballgame uh, yeah. selling to the Japanese. And uh, we want to be at, at the correct level of maturity before you even start to have conversations with the Japanese market. Uh, Japanese uh, businesses tend to like to see um, others try, like if it's a new solution or something new, they don't like to go first. They like to actually see uh, some traction in the rest of the world and then there'll be a follower. Uh, especially when it comes to new technologies and things mm -hmm. like that. So that's just the nature of the game here. Um, and that's, that's not a problem for us. You know, we understand that. Um, now, which brings me to, you know, my, my sort of personal portfolio is not invested in real estate at all. In fact, uh, if I look at all the homes I've owned over my life, I don't think I've really had a great experience with real estate. Um, just been, it's been very illiquid. Um, and then times where you do want to sell, sometimes it can be challenging. Um, last home I owned was in San Francisco. Um, so it was actually really easy to, you know, to exit that position. Um, but a home that I had in Chicago, for example, um, attracted a lot of taxes, uh, like around 3% tax per year. So a very sort of declining um, asset, if you will. So when in Japan, I was um, initially looked at um, some ideas to uh, basically diversify my portfolio into some real estate assets. And um, initially, I had been very interested in the renovation idea because my wife and I saw a lot of renovated um, homes uh, in Tokyo that were actually done really nicely and um, seemed like, you know, there was potential for a good margin then on that type of business. So I was actually thinking about uh, doing that as sort of a part-time thing, but uh, it seemed like there was a lot of 
uh, red tape and um, you know you have to have real estate license and all sorts of other things to actually do um, that. It's not, this is not exactly the case. Um, you do, if you purchase them as an individual and then you resell them within five years, you're facing double capital gains tax. Yeah. Um, but if you purchase it under the name of a company, and it can be any company, it doesn't have to be a real estate company, um, then you can sell it and not be subject to that double tax uh, within the first five years. If you start doing this as a regular business, though, um, you do need to be a real estate company. But I don't think you have to apply for a um, Taken license because you're not really doing um, real estate transactions per se, as far as I'm aware. Um, you just need to register a company that's whose designated purpose is to deal in real estate, and um, but you're not I acting. See. You're not acting as a broker, so I don't think you'll have to go the full gamut of the licensing. Well, that's that's interesting. It's certainly something to explore. And um, you know, when my wife and I were looking for um, an apartment in Tokyo, we we did come across a number of companies that were doing. Um, a lot of renovations on older buildings, mm. um, which were at attractive price points. To be honest with you, the same square footage um, would be double. You know, we ended up buying um, uh, a small two-bedroom place in Nakamura and um, paid about half the price of a new construction home for the same uh, square meterage um, yep. at that point. So I don't sorry know about the uh, sorry about the background noises. I'm I'm home with the cats today, so they're they're having a. A bit of a chat in the background. Um, my dogs are walking around too, so apologies for that. Um, so yeah, that was initially pretty attractive, but um, you know, I've got to thinking about a very unique idea that um, you know has to do with COVID and you know current situation. And maybe I can just explain it. Um, but I'll just I'll just pause you. Sorry, I'll just pause you for a second and let her out. Otherwise, I won't be able to hear you. <laughs> Give me a sec. Okay. Now all we need is for my son to come in and we'll be set. <laughs> no Sorry, go for it. Yeah, so, um, you know, I've always had the desire to own a, you know, I think like any professional that works in the city a lot, you, you, you have a desire to get out and to, you know, have some place in the countryside where you can decompress and, you know, do your own thing. I cycle a lot in Japan, so, you know, having a base somewhere in the mountains would be great for cycling with my friends and things like that. Um, but the downside of that for me is it feels like if the property isn't used a lot, then I actually feel like I've sort of added to the, you know, sort of footprint of, you know, it's not a sustainable kind of, um, you know, idea, I think. It's something needs to be used in order to, you know, get the most out of it. So I was thinking recently that, um, you know, with COVID and with the special type of situation that is in Tokyo, where a lot of executives are struggling to work from home. Um, and I'm not saying that this would be the answer to it, but I think it would be a bit of a relief to the work from home situation. A workation um, sort of resort or, or get away? Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking about uh, like a mini or micro uh, executive retreat uh, conference center 
um, but it also could be a place where families could go for you know um, a weekend or what have you, or it could be family reunion type of thing. Um, what I'm thinking about is a configurable mixed-use area, which okay. would be um, a large area similar to a very large living room, and I'm thinking like 150 to 200 square meters, uh, with a, a very, very large and um, highly stacked out kitchen that would have the ability to maybe have four people cooking at once, right? So have a centralized cooking facility. And then um, around that, you would have living area like, you know, couches, <clears throat> tables, um, which during the morning would be facilitating breakfast and in the afternoon, early evening would be doing dinner. But during the day, it could be configured into a work area where small teams could work together or individuals. Um, you could have some parts of the area be um, private, like a small private room. So if you wanted to have a small a conference uh, call or something like that, or a meeting, you could basically use that space. We could put uh, big screen TVs so people could project their laptops and things like that. So really, uh, a very mixed-use space, and the idea actually comes from a property in Tokyo that I um, that I know quite well, and it's it's called Waves Nihonbashi, okay. and it's in, in Hamacho, and it's a very interesting concept, and the group that owns this building has many of these across the city, and what it is, is um, it's, the, the one in Hamacho is a new building, it's 50 units, very, very small rooms that are, you know, 15 square meters. Yep. And they only have a bathroom, a toilet, and uh, just an area for a bed and a small um, fridge, for example. I'm looking at but it now. Have, I just brought it up yeah, as we speak. Yeah. They have a very beautiful um, kitchen area, basically two layers of their top floor. So that's for catering, um, like is a, it? A big open plan kitchen yeah. where they have three stovetops, um, all high-end equipment like Le Creuset pots and pans and uh, global knives and things like that. It's a beautiful space. Uh, I'm looking uh, at it now. Beautiful, yeah. yeah. And floor-to-ceiling windows, uh, views of Tokyo Tower, uh, a huge um, dining table, which during the day people eat at, and, at, and at, uh, during, the, sorry, during the morning people eat at, at, at night as well. But then people use it as a um, place to work. You know, there's <laughs> mm. workstation areas around it, and then there's a second floor on top of that, which is the rooftop, which has another kitchen, like a um, small living area with couches and that, and then a beautiful deck with barbecue capability and things like that. They've got laundry facilities, and it's really attractive for young professionals, um, especially those that are, you know, single and living alone. But they look uh, like um, they look like they're renting it with actual leases. I don't see a daily use uh, unless I'm yeah, missing. That is, sorry, that's that's a lease. That's definitely like a rental uh, okay. apartment yeah. type deal. But I, what the, the the interesting part of it to me was seeing how Japanese and foreigners. Um, used the, the mixed-use space or the, yeah. the shared space. And I think it works really well in Japan because Japanese people are inherently clean and respectful mm. and quiet. And, and so that whole, you know, there's, there's, there's good harmony there, put it that way. Um, so what I was thinking about is how, can you 
expand that concept to put it in a, in a beautiful area somewhere where you have just this, you know, the front and center piece is this um, mixed use shared space. And then what you do is you put, um, I've seen these really nice um, cabins, like little log cabins, um, which are like about 10,000 US dollars each. Yep. And I think fully equipped for like 15,000 maybe, um, you could put you know, six to 10 of those on a property depending on how, how big it is. Yep. And that would be like glamping, if you will. So you could make it nice inside with really nice, um, you know, bedding and, and a desk and everything else. Mm. And then the, 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 the sort of bathing facilities uh, would be similar to like, like, you know, when you go to the golf course in Japan, you've got, you've got your locker and you've got your showers and you've got a nice, um, you know, sort of um, heated bath area. I think something like that. And um, people could enjoy the property and use it, you know, as, as they want. Like I said, from anything from executive and corporate outings, um, conferences, small conferences. It could be a place where um, people who are up and coming chefs or want to start a restaurant could use it as a concept area where they try out their, you know, their, their menus and things like that. Uh, get an experience on what it is like to to cook at scale for people, yeah. um, or they actually take on something, right? Or extended uh, family. Be, well, it had to be a well-to-do family, yeah. but extended family getaway, uh, bring a few generations in for a weekend kind of thing. That, that's exactly right, right? Yeah. Like a family reunion type mm. area. And I think with obviously with having um, you know more emphasis on the shared space being really you know. I wouldn't say like super high end, but it's got to be like really attractive and beautiful, yep. um, you know, bringing in nature and things like that. And then I think with the offering the glamping style accommodation at night, you'd have a, a lower price. I'm thinking like, you know, um, uh, Ichiman Gonsonian per person, maybe per night, something lower like that, but because you're not getting a bathroom and, and, and that, but then try and you know, make it make it something that would be occupied a lot a lot of the time. So just one second, my dog is now starting to. <laughs> Sorry about that. Too. You're right. So, I'm leaving all of this in the recording. I think people will like that. <laughs> Some uh, yeah, as life happens, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So you know, I think I think it could be used for many different things. Like I said, I've got um, a lot of cycling friends that I think would like a weekend getaway or whatever, um, and a, a base where you could spend a couple of days exploring, you know, local mountains and things like that. And location-wise, um, did you did you give some thought to? I'm assuming maybe yeah. uh, up to two hours from Tokyo or so. But, right, I think like one to one and a half, two hours by train from Tokyo, it's yeah. got to be convenient. Accessible. Yeah. Um, you know, that's my, my, I think my challenge right now is figuring out what location would be great. Um, I know that like the Kurizawa area is like, you know, super attractive. Super expensive. Very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> very expensive. I did find a piece of land there and I don't know if it's, um, I'm trying to contact the realtor right now, um, it's like 3,000 square meters, which I'm not sure if it's big enough, but 
think it might be good enough to start with. And it was so only like you're looking for million. you're looking for vacant land. You're going to construct the facility. I mean, the cabins obviously are brought over, but the facility you're going to be constructing from scratch. Yeah, I I think so. Unless I could find um, unless I could find an existing structure that okay. could be added onto in a in a way or reconfigured, because it would also be nice having. That older sort of Japanese style. Of That's what I was thinking. Actually. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, like I saw saw a really interesting house in Melbourne on on YouTube, where the front is one of these period cottages, you know, old Victorian cottages. Yeah. And then as you go through it, it goes into a modern uh, glasscape, if you will, in the back, yeah. overlooking this gorgeous, you know, yard which has a lot of foliage. Um, so, you know, something like that could work as well, I guess, if you can find an architect or someone to, you know, to mix the styles, yep. uh, it could, uh, could be quite interesting to do that. It would be attractive for foreigners, I think, because they all want the sort of Japanese experience. Well, I guess um, um, one of the, just one major question that keeps popping into my mind as you explain this, I think the property side of things wouldn't be the, um, wouldn't be the biggest hurdle. I'm just wondering if... Do you have the time and the bandwidth to market this and run? Because this is a full-on business. I mean, this is not going to be something that you would be uh, advertising for tenants and running with a property manager, right? Yeah, I think um, so. there's a couple of different parts to go with it. Um, I, th I think you're right. Um, you have to have some type of marketing, web presence, that type of thing. Fortunately, I know how to do all of I know how to do the, the technical side of all of that, but having someone, I think I would have to hire someone locally who had some knowledge in, in how to market a property like that. Yeah. Um, I was Especially on the uh, Japanese uh, side. I mean, it might be fairly easy um, to market it to expats and foreigners uh, living yeah. in Japan or, or maybe um, commu like, like coming to Japan for business conferences and so forth. But if you don't want to limit yourself to just the foreigner aspect, then you will definitely need a, a Japanese marketing company for that. Yes, I think so. So I'll actually add that to my list. Mm. Um, so, you know, the other thing that I was thinking about doing is I could also um, use part of the facility for my own business. Um, you know, if I have a couple of developers I want to hire and things like that here locally in Japan, uh, we could we could put the business there so that um, I can also be on site more often. I think yep. um, that might be some part of it. Um, the other idea I had is um, to have maybe a competition um, at an architectural school where we give like you know ten thousand dollars to the winner or whatever it is for the best student proposal for yeah. this concept. Right, and, and then get a young, because then I'd be helping a young architect get some experience under mm. their belt as well. Um, so I've got a number of innovative ideas about how to, um, you know, sort of go about this. Um, and But the, the central idea is, you know, mixed use space that could be highly occupied and highly, you know, with high utility, in other words, it can be configured to do a bunch of different things, and therefore, its occupancy occupancy rate should be, you know, higher than than average, um, and therefore, it's being used more often. Um, and I think if we can do that in like a sustainable way, add in solar or geothermal or something like that into it, um, that would be attractive as well. 
And then I think long-term, um, it's either, I'd like to see how it goes, and it might be an interesting, it might be interesting to um, start it up, get it going, and then sell it as, a, as an actual business based upon, you know, cash flow valuation or something like that. Um, so I could see multiple returns on, on an investment like that if it, if it got to driving the financial results that, that we needed to. Um, otherwise, it would just be, you know, like a you know, family-owned project, I think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's the general idea. Um, I guess, uh, yeah, getting started, you know, just different locations. Um, I, I like the Kurizawa idea. I know getting in there is going to be extremely expensive from a land perspective. Um, but I'm still trying to do research in terms of, other other locations. Well, there'll also uh, be the um, there'll also be the topic of um, running a business zoning restrictions because if you're having people um, stay overnight, uh, you're going to be running under a hotel license. I guess so. Yeah, right. so, so we'll, we'll need to find an area. Their, Sorry, go ahead. How, how do people normally operate their Airbnbs in Japan? Is it all under a hotel license or something? Um, if it's a smaller operation, you don't mind running it only half the year. You can apply for a, a minpaku license, which is um, casual short-term stay. But various areas will have various restrictions on that. Um, since late 2018, the government gave uh, local municipalities the right to uh, limit that practice in their own jurisdictions. Um, so some of them are more lenient, some of them less. So in some cases, for example, if you want a minpaku license, you have to have a, a person within a certain distance of the property 24 hours. Um, so you'll actually okay. have to have full-time staff there. But that, that, I think, would apply for the hotel license as well. Mm -hmm. um, you would need to have uh, staff on site. Uh, so maybe look into getting somebody who's interested in maybe living out in the countryside who can just live in one of those cabins and then cater to the guests when there is an event. Right. Um, right. Yeah, you definitely would that. Yeah. And there's other compliance involved. So let, let's say the area, hotel licenses are usually less challenging. I mean, there would be um, hotels in every municipality. Casual Minpaku Airbnb is a bit more challenging, but I think from what you're describing, a hotel license is definitely the way to go uh, because yeah. you don't want to be limited in just uh, being able to operate half the year and so forth. Um, and obviously, in both cases, there's compliance with fire and safety requirements. The architectural plan has to uh, run through City Hall for them to approve that it's uh, acceptable for a hotel, and there's certain... There's certain, again, it might differ a little bit between municipalities, but uh, floor space of the common areas versus floor space of the sleeping areas have to run a certain ratio. Um, there has to be something equivalent to a reception desk of some sort. That's not really a huge limitation. It can be just a few tables that function as that. Um, so depending on location, it might be a good idea before you actually um, go and put offers on properties, it might be a good idea to first check with the local municipalities and see what exactly they're requesting for a hotel license, what you'll need to comply with, and also to sort the staffing out. 
So again, the, the, what the property itself and even the architectural and design side, I think, are the easiest hurdles to get through here. There are, like you said, there are plenty of options there. Um, the business side of things, so the licensing, and honestly, this will rise and fall on marketing and advertising. Um, to the expat, I mean, we can definitely start with the expats, but to the Japanese side, there'll have to be some uh, careful thought given to who's going to be doing that, where to advertise, whether it's on the uh, Rakuten and Agoda and all of the typical uh, booking websites that people go through or through other venues. So it would be a good idea to maybe talk to somebody who's been running um, hotels or conference centers as a company for other people and see how they advertise to the Japanese market. Yes. Um, and the licensing. So let's say we're looking at Kuroizawa, but if Kuroizawa is uh, requests for hotel licensing are going to uh, you know bring up your expenses 100%, there's no really point in going there. Right. Yeah. I see. Yeah, that makes that makes sense. So I I think I need to think through um, definitely a lot a lot of that piece of, um, piece of the puzzle. Now you I said you are, um, sorry. Just two more questions. Number one, you said you were contacting local realtors. Um, I'm assuming that means you're okay with them um, uh, written, uh, reading and writing and, and communicating in Japanese. Um, I I think we can handle reading and writing in Japanese um, between myself and my wife, of course. Um, but I haven't hired any local um, realtors. I've, I've just reached out to you know one via online. Have you heard uh, back? Have, have they been communicative? Because sometimes they. Tend to go and, no, that, okay. That, that's that's what I thought. That's, that's the that's the problem, and you kind of. I mean, I must tell you that I think um, real estate in Japan uh, is a little bit behind, um, at least the U.S. Uh, you know, the, the the properties. What I found very frustrating is lack of really great images mm. about properties in Japan. Like yeah. Japanese websites are terrible, quite frankly. A lot of times, don't even have um, you know photographs of the inside of people's homes. Of course, that's a challenge. But if you look at markets like San Francisco, New York, um, LA, Chicago, you know they they come in and they they basically stage the entire house with stage furniture, make it look terrific, get a professional photographer. In, well, they do do and, that uh, for very high end properties here, but not for the uh, countryside sort of locations that you're looking at. I mean the a lot of them just yeah, come in with the flip yeah. phones and just take pictures like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I understand that. Mm. So, so yes, I need some, you know, probably need some help um, on the real estate side of things as well. Um, but, you know, I, I think next steps is for me to just sort of put together a financial model and try and um, do some more research and investigation into these areas that you're talking about. With the licensing, um, just a, a little tip. I mean, we can obviously yeah. do that for you as well. But if you want to try it on your own with the licensing, the best way to do it is to find a, a shihoshoshi, a judicial scrivener. Uh, who can access uh, City Hall for you and get you all the requirements for uh, hotel licensing because you'll definitely need that whichever area you're considering. And they're usually not too expensive. I mean, for up to uh, 50 or 100 bucks per inquiry, they'll be able to get you the information that you need. Okay. And hopefully it'll be a bilingual one so they can also... Uh, oh, I guess your wife could help you with that if she's got the time on her hands maybe to uh, parse the uh, requirements and, and uh, translate them for you. 
because mm-hmm. um, there will be a lot of uh, legalese and uh, uh, hardcore Kago and kanji in those documents. So it's it's not a it's not like a sign on the street. I'm sure I do have a local accountant who's bilingual um, who can I think help you with things like that legal side of things and setting up a company and stuff. Like not that. not that I mean ac- uh, just visiting city hall and asking them or contacting oh, them by yeah. phone and asking them for their requirements for a hotel license in that area. I see. No, I understood. What I mean is, after that, dealing with any of the legal documents and that, I, oh, yeah, yeah, some, yeah. I do have some help with my, um, you know, tax accountant, and okay. I think could help you there too. Um, so, I, I guess a couple of other questions I had was um, the how, how does it generally work accessing um, capital like loans for construction in in Japan? Is it something that's done and available, or is it um, much more tricky than buying an existing house? It depends on your personal circumstances and on the purpose of the construction. So the first thing is you have to have at least a year, preferably two or three years of income generated in Japan either as an individual or a company. Uh, And they'll consider, like if you have a company and it's under your name, then they'll consider your individual history as collateral, as a history for the company, income history for the company. Um, But the income has to be generated in Japan. So either with uh, invoices from the company itself or as as a salaried employee of the company, you have to have at least two years of income history. And then the other side of that is they're definitely open to construction loans for personal residences. For investment purposes, most of the lenders would be a lot more comfortable with a straight out residential property uh, business plan. Something like you're describing might be a bit more challenging. Um, If you're looking at buying a property to just tenant it out, um, that's a lot easier. Uh, mm-hmm. For something like this, you'd have to be in a pretty good relationship with your um, bank, I think, for them to consider that. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, but it could um, be a, it could be an interesting concept to float to a joint venture rather than go with traditional lenders, because I can think about uh, quite a few investors that would be interested in that. Yeah, that's the other thing I was thinking. You know, I would be open to having other investors come in on this if we can put together a tight enough business plan that we all believe, you know, would be something that would be achievable. Um, so that's that's certainly um, that's certainly up. And I've raised money from my own company before, so I think I understand the process of that a little bit. Um, so. Yeah, that's that's certainly an option. Now you think you're thinking like just private market. Private I think market so. Investors. I mean, if you're under 50 investors, you don't fall under crowdfunding legislation. So you can pretty much set up a, any sort of vehicle and just do it that way. Um, and I know I I can think of at least two or three of our customers who have shown interest in a joint venture in the past who would be quite interested in that sort of model. I think, and obviously. The, the lower the entry cost, uh, which means the larger the number of investors, um, the easier it would be uh, in the recruitment phase, but then um, management and admin might be a bit more challenging if you've got more investors. So there's a bit of a balance yeah. point to be struck there. Yeah, no, I, def- I definitely understand the nuances of that. For mm. sure. I've been, been down that road a little bit. Um, I wanted to ask how... Uh, 
is, is Japan, does Japan have a concept of refinancing mortgages or um, home equity lines of credit or anything like that? Um, you can't really draw on your equity um, for a refinancing or for another project. As far as I'm aware, the, the banks and the lenders would let you know on that one, but I haven't heard of that being done. Um, they're usually yeah. going to limit your borrowing capacity depending on, again, your income history and what you've been generating, not the equity of the assets. Uh, okay, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, because, you know, in the U.S., it's very easy to get access to your capital. Yeah. Um, pretty straightforward and obviously refinancing is more of a uh, national sport in I know. the US. Yeah. <laughs> interest rate range. Australia uh, as well, but not, uh, not done not done in Japan now. Yeah, we'd love to do that because um, you know, we purchased our original home in Nakamagura for cash, so we got cash locked up in it. Um, but that was because, like you said, in terms of um, uh, borrowing, uh, my my wife was a contract physician for a couple of hospitals and clinics, and even though you know it's a it's a great vocation and very well respected uh, profession, uh, they wanted to see her being, you know, uh, permanently employed by a hospital or a clinic for a certain period of time. Um, so that was a challenge. So we, we eventually just decided to forego a mortgage and, and you know buy a home for cash. But the problem is now we've got it cash locked up in our place so i, I honestly um, think i honestly think your concept is a lot more attractive to a joint venture than it would be to traditional japanese lenders i don't see them getting behind this unless you've got quite a few of these projects under your belt that you can show them right, right. maybe so in the future but not as a first one yeah i i wouldn't you know i wouldn't expect the japanese banks to go anywhere outside of the lines right yeah. so <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> Doesn't know, sure, mm -hmm. understood. Um, but you know what I was thinking is, uh, you know, like I said, to try and provide some type of relief. That's why I wanted to make the, I want to try and make the cost per night not exorbitant and super high end because if we can kind of attract some professionals from the city that need yeah. to just get away for a week and get some work done. Well, Ichimango-sen um, per cabin, uh, per person or per cabin, maybe it might be a couple, um, I think is definitely doable. It's, um, well, I mean, depending, the, 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 ba the bath facilities would be a big uh, turn on or turn off as well. We need to see what we can do with that. Yeah, that's what I, you know, what I was, look, uh, I, I just thought, like, if it could work, it would work in Japan because yeah. people, you know, are definitely um, more open to the communal bathing. And I've been to some ryokans and places like that where, the, you know, you just had a room and there was a communal bath area. So, um, I, I, but you're marketing yeah, I also. Know. You're also marketing to expats. Uh, some of them, even those who have been living in Japan for a long time, are still a bit iffy yeah. with that. <laughs> Wouldn't like that. I know. I understand. Um, you know, uh, we we could do something like um, an outdoor shower or something like that on each cabin. Um, I personally think I, I love outdoor showers. I mean, I've stayed in a number of homes that have actually had that, like yeah. in South Africa and places like that. So um, that's actually been um, really like a highlight. But I'm not sure if people would uh, nat naturally go for that. Well, same um, as same as yeah. you want to cater, same as you want to cater to the widest clientele potential base in what you offer within the facility itself. I would think that the bathing options should also accommodate most of them. So that might be might need a bit more thought on that one. Yeah, 
Um, yeah, I think definitely it might drive up the cost model um, significantly, but I'd have to I'd have to look at that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Generally, um, that's the that's the idea, and I, I don't know if you had any guidance on in terms of how to select you know areas. I I, I know Japan, but not as well as a lot of locals and obviously expats that have been here longer than me. But like I said, I do a lot of cycling in the um, mountains and that, and there's, I'm always seeing just beautiful uh, areas where, you know, you've got mountains, you've got forests, you've got, um, you know, rivers, um, you know, the kind of places that I've stayed at, um, onsen style places like outside Hakone and those areas, mm. um, you know, gorgeous. Uh, and I think there's got to be some land that's, um, you know, that, that's available out there because I did notice uh, one area of Hakone that we went to recently um, as we were walking through the neighborhood, which has like very, very large um, pieces of land, um, a lot of the homes just looked like nobody was living there, you know, they, yeah. they were, and I'm guessing it's like that IKEA type deal, so, you know, also going to start exploring that well land uh, land and old homes are available pretty much anywhere in japan and usually rather cheaply um yeah. the trick is again uh, number one accessibility so we want to make sure that um people can exactly. get i mean the train would I, i'm just thinking the train would only come to the center of the local municipality whatever that may be so to get from there to the resort you probably have to work out a, a pickup truck arrangement or something similar um, but beyond yeah, yeah. that, beyond that, I would look at again. I would look at the local municipality and how easy it would be to operate uh, under a hotel license there. So that would be another primary selection criteria. So maybe narrow down a few locations that are accessible from Tokyo within the, uh, like you mentioned, an hour and a half or so, and then hire a local shihoshoshi in each of those areas to try and get the licensing requirements and maybe base the decision on that because available properties will be anywhere yeah okay, okay. i mean the realtors are not very communicative um when approached by foreigners but once you get a this is basically what we do for our customer we give them a japanese face to work with and we promise them they'll never have to talk to the scary gaijin on the other end and then things get a bit smoother so that's usually not an issue. The properties will be available. They will be pretty cheap. But I would look at accessibility and licensing first and then start looking at potential properties based on those results. Yeah, I know. I think that that's great. Until, until Elon Musk and Tesla solve the completely autonomous vehicle, then I can have a Tesla. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't think that that's too far away. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I joke with my wife that, yeah, we should buy a Tesla because when the software upgrade comes, um, that, that car is going to be fully autonomous. And I could honestly see a future where, you know, the guests get off the train and there's a Tesla waiting there and they just jump on it and it drives them straight to the... I think so. Place. But, I mean, we'll probably see it in bigger cities. I don't think it'll uh, be accessible in the countryside until 5G is rolled out. And that's probably looking like another five to ten years at least. Yeah. yeah, could be, could yeah. be, could be some constraints around that. So, um, anyway, uh, I, I, I know a lot of smart people are working on that problem because yeah. there's a huge upside to it. Mm. Um, so I don't think I'm dreaming in that respect. I think that that's going to be reality at some point. Um, but uh, yes, certainly accessibility. I think was like the first thing my wife 
ask was, you know, how far is this property from a train station? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a normal Japanese response. Um, but that well, I mean, if, it's a, if it's a corporate retreat, it's not, I think, beyond beyond the reason to think that they would be probably renting a little bus or a minibus, depending on how many people are coming in. So for the corporate retreat crowd specifically, that might not be the biggest issue. But anything that's of a more private nature, then yes, people might be coming by train, they might be coming by car, we just don't know. So. Makes sense. Okay. Um, that's... I think that, that, that was most of what I wanted to cover, but I did want to give you some opportunity to tell uh, your viewers uh, a little bit more about your services and what you offer, and so I can also understand that a little bit more deeply as well. Yep, my pleasure. So we, um, I mean, the viewers probably know this, most of them uh, have been watching us oh. for a while, <laughs> but we've been, um, what, well, we act as exactly as that point that you've described. So we're the um, sort of bridge between the, um, the scary gaijin and the confusing Japanese entities and professionals that people need to work with. So what we normally do for them is uh, on more standard property purchases, uh, this is not you, but we do just uh, market research. We let them know which available properties are in their particular criteria, whether it's um, location or budget or distance from station or what have you. And then we look at options for negotiation if they exist, depending on the area. In central Tokyo, it's going to be a bit tougher, but anything, for example, vacant properties in the countryside are a lot easier to negotiate. And then we contact the listing realtor. Again, we present uh, ourselves as a proxy of the buyer and telling, uh, showing him the legal documents that enable us to work on their behalf in Japan. And then the realtor is uh, and the seller are satisfied that they won't have to deal directly with foreigners, which um, usually then opens the doors to, I'd say, maybe 80, 90% of the market, as opposed to the 30 or 40% that's usually open to foreigners. And then we, the way it works in Japan is you first, depending again on location and how popular the uh, properties are, if it's a central city location or a very attractive holiday property, you would need to submit an offer first and then start getting due diligence info on the property. Um, in other cases, if it's been on sale for a while, um, then the agent would already have this information pre-offer, but in, it is a very fast market. So attractive properties, the best idea is to get your foot in the door with an offer. And on the offer, we would note that it's pending due diligence info. So if we're not satisfied with the structural info or the layout of the land or subject to inspection or whatever the case may be. And then if and the Ernest, other, sorry, go ahead. Is, Ernest, is, is like earnest money um, paid at that point? No. Some type of, um, no. No. Okay. no, but there is a um, moral or sort of politeness obligation that if due diligence does check out okay, then the buyer is going, it's assumed that the buyer is going to proceed with the deal. So we can pull an offer back if for any reason we then receive due diligence info that's less than satisfactory. But if we do that without any um, reasonable, uh, reasonable excuse, then that particular realtor is not going to work with us and we're just going to reinforce the image that gaijins are tire kickers. So we, we try to avoid that. It's always a, a bit of a challenge in Japan. So assuming the property and the numbers and the budget works out and assuming the due diligence is satisfactory, we would then proceed to sign a contract at which point we're going to review the legal documents attached to the property just to make sure that everything we've been told is actually on paper as well. 
Um, before that, we might, uh, if the seller allows, we might do some inspections. That would be at the buyer's expense, but depending. So if you're looking at land for construction, it might be a good idea to check um, the solidity of the land to make sure that construction is going to go through smoothly. If you're looking at an existing structure, uh, maybe a structural inspection is a good idea. Um, again, depending on the budget, I mean, if you're buying something for 20,000 bucks, no one's going to, it's what you see is what you get. But if you're going for the uh, upper echelons, it's a good idea to get them inspected. And then if everything goes smooth, we sign the contract, we pay the deposit, which is traditionally 10%. Mm -hmm. And then probably three to four weeks after that, if the buyer is in Japan and all the documentation is uh, provided from within Japan, we'll go on to settlement. If the buyer or the documentation needs to arrive from overseas, it could take six to eight weeks. And that's usually it. And then yeah. what the other things we can assist with is um, organizing for construction companies, renovation companies, property management, if it's a standard um, long-term or even short-term lease. There are definitely, uh, there's a gamut of property managers and um, short-term stay operators in Japan, depending on the area. The more you're out in the countryside, the less these are feasible yeah. but in your case in any case we're not going to be using a property manager i think this would be a you'd need to run your own advertising and marketing platform and booking yeah. and taking bookings and billings and so forth i don't i don't see i don't see a typical japanese property manager whether long or short term uh, that's able to handle these sort of things uh, what about airbnb for something like this Airbnb. Um, it is possible once you satisfy the licensing requirements. You're not going to be able to put it on Airbnb before you show them a hotel or Minpaku license. That's what I'm saying. You'd have a hotel license. You could always use Airbnb. For standard, yeah, yeah, not a problem. For standard bookings, that's fine. Yeah. 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 But to yeah. to satisfy the license requirements, you'll need to show the uh, licensing authority. Um, the management uh, infrastructure that you've got in place. So whether it's a person who's always at the property or someone who's within call, depending on, so all of that will have to be worked out before that. Once you've received the license, then yes, you can list on any other platforms. I see. Okay. But you still need somebody to handle guest check-in, check-out and billing. I mean, Airbnb might be able to handle the billing for you. Um, the yeah, payments. Billing, is becoming, billing is becoming easier and easier these days. Yeah. Um, you know, I've built uh, billing uh, mechanisms on, you know, my company's website, for example. Um, you know, a company called Stripe ha handles yep. all of that for you. Um, there's a fee that you have to pay, but um, it's completely seamless. So you can put that on any website these days. Um, I think uh, in terms of having someone out there full time, I think that that would be mandatory. Like you'd want yeah. somebody who takes care of the property and is also able to handle guests. And they have um, to be uh, bilingual, don't forget about that. Uh, oh, absolutely. I, I don't think this would be a Japanese person um, that, that would do that. Well, then they would, have to, be, they would have to be proficient in English, at least. <laughs> have to talk a little bit of English. That's a bit yeah. of a, it can uh, be a bit of a challenge, so but, that's uh, easier said than done in many cases, especially if you're looking for somebody who wants to move out and just stay in the countryside, right? I, I, I totally understand. Um, but I expect to spend a lot of my time there as well. Um, and uh, But 
Yeah, I think it would be great if that person also, um, you know, was a chef and they could they could cook as well for that people. That would be nice. Um, so yeah, that's the idea is to just try and uh, see if I can put together a model um, and then pressure test it. Well, if for and, the um, uh, if for the first year or two, like you said, if you can. If your job can be handled remotely and if your wife doesn't mind, then for the first year or two, it would be a lot easier to apply for the licensing if you just say that you're going to be there 24 7, right? Yeah, um, and then handle, uh, take care of the staffing as you, as you move down the road and you see how easy or, or less uh, challenging or less right. challenging it is to actually populate the place, then you can start thinking about staffing. Makes sense, makes sense. Yeah, I think I think from you know, like I said, these days the technology is growing so quickly that the whole process of check in, check out, billing, I think can be digitally managed. Yeah. Um, it's the physical management of the property, you know, cleaning out rooms, making beds, things like that, making sure that the right linens are available and and all of the other maintenance stuff that yeah. you need. Well, for need compliance, for compliance, that will have to be a part of it in any case. So the license uh, comes with a certain requirement to uh, for hygiene, for fire, for safety, for a person on site. So uh, even though there are plenty of Airbnb and hotel spaces that are managed with uh, electronic uh, uh, check in and check out. Um, there is still to comply. The the company running the place still needs to show that the uh, the cleaning and is done at a certain uh, frequency, and that the person is uh, always present within a certain distance. So that still needs to be done. Okay, makes makes a lot of sense. Um, thank you. I think you filled in quite a lot of gaps, and um, I definitely would like to follow up with you on some of the services that you offer, and um, also about the uh, JV. Uh, uh, interest in that, but before I take that step, I think I'd like to do a lot of homework because if I'm going to present it to investors, yes, I want to have a full uh, I'll need a business plan um, to uh, get them interested. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I understand that process from being there before. Yeah, so that, that's very good. Well, very helpful. Thank you a lot, uh, Zeev. It was lovely meeting you, and um, appreciate the time that you spent with me today. My pleasure. And um, would you like me to, um, on the recording or on the show notes, would you like me to um, put any way for people to contact you if they're interested in joining in, or do you want us to collect yeah, those yeah. and let you know? Yep. Yeah. Uh, no, that would be fine. Yeah. So, email address or your LinkedIn profile. What should I put there? Uh, we can you can put both. Okay. So, you know my email yep. address and LinkedIn profile. Um, and if people want to get touched with me about exploring the idea further, I would love nothing more to have more conversations around it. All right. So we'll do that, and maybe uh, we'll get some uh, advanced bookings as well. See how we go. <laughs> that would be excellent. Thanks for your time, Thanks Tristan. Speak yeah, to you. Have soon. a good day. You too. Uh, Bye. So yes, again, really nice chat, really good conversation and a great business idea. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the business plan and helping make uh, Tristan's dream come true. If you like the idea as well, or you just want to pre-book your own getaway once the dream becomes a reality, feel free to reach out to him directly. We'll link to his email address and LinkedIn profile in this episode show notes. Uh, the email address is Tristan Hope, all one word, at iinet.net.au, or just Tristan Whitehead on LinkedIn. Uh, or you can, of course, just reach out directly to us if you've got any questions and we can answer those for you or just send an introductory email to Tristan and yourself in case you want us chiming in on your conversation with him. Also, a small correction on a completely unrelated topic. In one of our last Clubhouse chats that we've uh, published here on the podcast, we've mentioned vaccine tourism to the U.S. 
And uh, we Aussies on the panel were on the mind of the mind that we can't actually do it, not being U.S. citizens. So a friend from the U.S. corrects me on that one. Anyone, including tourists, can apparently get freely vaccinated in the U.S. So in case for any reason you're stuck without access to a vaccine uh, or you're just tired of waiting, that's always an option, as it turns out. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis or you are already in Japan on some sort of a more temporary visa and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, and also if you're considering setting up a local company or branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiry, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners and our clients. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com, all one word, and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, wherever you're tuning in from. Or just drop us a line in the comments section or wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoshiku. Yoshiku.